0: Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of uh, what we will talk about just before lunch is uh, The Seal and the Mark. And in looking at the seal and the mark, as soon as I mention that, of course, to, uh, to an audience, especially an audience with an Adventist background, we immediately think we, we know the topic, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about the seal of, and the mark, uh, you know what I'm going to be talking about? What is it? Sabbath, Sabbath and? Sunday. And Sunday, right? This, this is familiar, grand for all of us. We're actually experts when it comes to the seal and the mark. Of all the churches, we consider ourselves to have a certain amount of expertise when it comes to the seal of the uh, seal of God and the mark of the beast. And we have a lot of books about it. We have a lot of charts about it. And we actually have a certain sense of pride in understanding these things that a lot of these other poor Sunday keepers don't really understand or comprehend. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. And uh, this current thinking on the subject actually opens the door for a lot of uh a lot of false security. And I want to challenge this particular uh, thinking today a little bit in in the study we're going to look at here uh, together uh, this morning. Because, brothers and sisters, the great danger and the great fear is this. Most people, because of their understanding of some of these things, believe very sincerely that they will receive the seal of God and that they will not receive the mark of the beast, and it will be the greatest deception and tragedy for people who wholeheartedly believe that they will receive the seal of God to end up having the mark of the beast. And so we are are in this category as as Seventh-day Adventists, as people who study prophecy, as people who pride ourselves on our knowledge and understanding of the end times and the last day events. You know, we have charts, right? Plenty of charts. There's so many varieties out there. Charts of everything. We're in the latter rain will fall and probation will close. And all the different events And Sunday law comes here. We are experts. And this expertise, brothers and sisters, has given us a certain sense of safety and security when it comes to the last days. And with that, there is actually a very grave danger. This is what I want to explore. This is one to, uh, what I want to examine today. And... Uh, the reason for the danger is, if we miss something along the way, you know, when you think you're an expert at a topic, it's not likely you're going to re-examine it. You know everything there is to it. You're not ready to hear something about it. You know all there is to it. But if you miss something, and you feel you're an expert, you're going into the last days with a false sense of security. This is the problem we have. And and like I said, this is what I want to examine. There is a certain Adventist psyche that exists when it comes to the seal of God and the mark of the beast. And, and you're familiar with what I'm talking about, right? And this Adventist psyche exists among every breed of Adventism. What I mean by that is in the church, out of the church, beside the church, independent, codependent... Uh, whatever, anyone who professes any form of Adventism or Seventh-day Adventism, we have this predominant psyche, whether it be the main church, Reform, IMF, whatever group that claims to subscribe to the Seventh-day Adventist message, three angels' messages, we have this common psyche when it comes to the last days, the seal of God, and the mark of the beast. We are the number one experts in the world about it. You know know what I'm talking about, right? When we have millions of books out there and this and that and the other. And so today what I'm going to talk about, I'll tell you right up the front. This is going to be a heavy message. So get ready. Okay, this is going to be heavy. This will shake some things in your mind. So get ready. Okay, before we start. So when we go along in the middle, you don't look at me with big eyes like this. and, And what's going on? I'm telling you right up the front. This is not a milk message, this is meat, and it's going to be heavy meat. And it's going to be based on what we're talking about. Because brothers and sisters, the issue of worship in the last days, and the confusion over worship, and the three angels' messages, this is a life and death issue for the for the planet. We think it applies to everyone else, but not us, because we're the ones who have the message. And this is a problem among us. We have a lot of spiritual pride when it comes to the positions we understand. We look down on these poor Sunday keepers. So so get ready today the message is going to come our way okay so i just want to give you that warning up front and we're going to look at the bible together and see what we can examine we want to look at this topic that we're so familiar with we're such experts in and see if we can find something that perhaps along the way we missed and uh, and so that's something i want us to keep in mind because like we said the, the battle in the last days is over is between these two issues the seal of god and the mark of the beast and like we said it is a battle of worship and this battle of worship in, in, in the Adventist psyche that I'm talking about seems to boil down to just one issue. When do you worship? Which day do you worship? We believe, we feel. If you have the right day, you're all set for the kingdom, brother, don't worry. You got the wrong day, oh brother, oh sister, you're going to get the mark of the beast. This is what it boils down to really at its most fundamental level, isn't that right? So we want to explore that a little bit because it is not really a question of just when you worship. Not at all. This is a very simplistic, very shallow way of looking at the issues that exist. So I want to look first of all at the seal of God. To understand what the mark of the beast is, we actually have to understand the seal of God. So let's go to Revelation 4, 7. Well, we have the text on the screen. So you can follow in your Bible or you can look on the screen. And we'll see what the Bible says about, revela- uh, about the seal of God. And please don't just tune out because, oh yeah, we know all these verses, we know all that because a surprise is coming. So just hold on, okay? Like I said, we're gonna, we're gonna challenge some things. Revelation 7 verses 2 and 3 says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. We're familiar with this passage that talks, of course, about the seal of the living God. I want to do some illustrations for us so we can just see it, because it will really help us. The seal of the living God. The first thing we learn about the seal is that it belongs to someone called the living God. The seal belongs to the living God. We're gonna do some very basics, very basic things. We're gonna do back to basics when it comes to the seal on the mark. It actually belongs to the living God. And who is this living God? We already found out from some of the studies that we did the other night. Uh, but we want to find the Bible answer. And the answer, of course, is the Father. And we see that a number of places. Matthew 16:16 16, 16 is one of them. Simon Peter answered and said, Speaking to Jesus, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And we're looking for the owner of the seal. He is called in Revelation, the living God is the seal of the living God. And uh, another verse says the same thing as well. In First Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. It says, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So the true and living God, the owner of the seal, has a son whose name is Jesus. So we know who the living God is. It is the father. So the seal belongs to God the Father. It's His seal. Very important to keep in mind. We don't generally think of the seal this way, correct? We don't look at, owner. Oh, no, we just say seal, Sabbath, that's it. You know, we, we, we put it uh, out that way. And therefore, it doesn't uh, surprise us that when we go back to the book of Revelation, we see a confirmation of that. The seal, brothers and sisters, belongs to one person, to one being, to God the Father. And in Revelation 14, we find in verse 1, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. This is the seal of the living God. It is actually the father's name written in the foreheads of these hundred and forty four thousand. And so if we were to illustrate that, the seal of God, according to the book of Revelation, is the Father's name. We read it in the Bible, right? Which is in the Hebrew, of course, Yahweh or Jehovah. We're familiar with it. It's how it's said in, uh, in English. The Father's name is the seal of God. Now, generally speaking, when it comes to the seal, we, I, I have never heard about it being you know, ex- emphasized as the Father's name. Of course, when it talks about the father's name, we're particularly referring not just to, you know, what his name is as such. It's his character. It is his identity. It is correctly and accurately understood by God's people. They know who they worship. That's what having the name in the forehead signifies. Because the issue in the last days is over worship this whole this is the backdrop this is the background of what we are dealing with when it comes to the seal and the mark and there is only one way for us to receive the father's name we saw the other night what is the only way between us and the father it's the son son. jesus the only way says i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by Mm -hmm. me and so the Son here is going to play an integral role, as we shall see. It's only through the Son that we can receive the Father's name, because actually when you have the Son, we've been talking about that, Christ and you, the hope of glory, we also know the Scripture says that the Father's name is in His Son. He has inherited a more excellent name. And so having Christ is how you actually obtain the Father's name or the Father's character and you have an understanding of that relationship is how christ dwells in you and it's really the father and the son making their abode with you we know they do that through that spirit which we found out what that is so all these things are linked and and that's what helps us and paves the way for us to know how we can stand in the last days so biblically this is what the seal of god is all about and so that's why in matthew 22 verse 37 Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. What does the mind signify here? Understanding. Comprehension. God wants us to love him, to worship him with a correct understanding the 144,000 in the last days are going to have a correct understanding they're going to love God with their mind they're going to have the true worship in their mind signified by having the father's name in their forehead which is the seal of the living god you with me and this is why Jesus emphasized that to the woman at the well in John 4:23 he says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The 144,000 are going to be what kind of worshipers? True worshippers. They will worship the Father. His name is in their foreheads. They have the seal of the living God. Because the issue in the last days is worship. And it is not just when will you worship. It is actually also who you worship and how you worship and when you worship. It seems that we have ignored all the others and we only focus on when. We have been severely deceived, brothers and sisters. Do you? Thank you. That's, a, that's another way to put it. Severely. And we have put all our trust And all our confidence in when. We will see as we go along. But I think you understand what we're talking about. And so when we talk about the seal of God, we often think of the seal as having to do with the Sabbath only. Now we're seeing, so I haven't even mentioned the Sabbath yet, right? I haven't said anything, I am just looked at Bible verses and we saw some elements and aspects to the seal that we don't don't generally talk about. And You might be wondering, well when is this brother going to get to talk about the Sabbath? Because the seal is the Sabbath, is what we always believe. Well we want to see what is the relationship between the seal of God and the Sabbath as well. Because in misunderstanding that relationship, we have really opened up ourselves to a very horrible deception. And that deception is not coming, that deception is already here. It is well entrenched as we shall see. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel, and I think we're familiar with this text, Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Moreover also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. When the Bible here uses the, let me use this laser since we have it. When the Bible here uses the capital uh, letters, Lord, what does that signify? That's the Father's name, which the Hebrew is Yahweh. Or Jehovah. That's the proper name of God the Father only. His Son inherited that name. He has that name by inheritance, the Father's name. And it tells us here that the Sabbath is what? It's a sign. It's a sign to represent something, to signify something. What does it signify? Or what does it represent? It represents that it is the Father who sanctifies his people now here's a question how does the father sanctify his people okay someone's saying through the son Do you, you don't want to get it wrong or you don't know <laughs> how does the through the word the bible says through the word what is sanctification brothers and sisters you know we're talking about righteousness by faith yesterday to be made holy right to be made righteous and to remain righteous sanctified holy what is the only way that we can be made righteous it's when we possess the righteous life of the son correct he that has the son has life and so the sabbath is a sign of righteousness by faith it's a sign that we possess the lord that sanctifies us the father sanctifying us through the life of his son that's why the bible says God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's in Galatians 4, 6. The Sabbath is a sign of that. It points to that fact. Now when we talk about the Sabbath and the seal, so here we have, we'll go back to our diagram, the seal of God is the Father's name, and the Sabbath we just read is a sign, and this sign points to Who? to the true and living God who sanctifies us by dwelling in us. Like Jesus says, the Father is in me and I in you. And that's how Christ dwells in us. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. When you're traveling on the road and uh, and you see a sign, for example, you're here in, in New Zealand, right? You, some people I heard came from Hamilton, right? So you're traveling on the road and on the road, you see a sign, it says, Wellington, this way. The sign is not the destination, is it? If you stop at the sign and say, well, it says Wellington here, so here we are, we stop. you, You haven't arrived. It's a bit silly to even think this way. But think about it. The Sabbath is a sign to point to someone. The Sabbath is not the destination. If you stop only at the sign and you you don't go to the destination, you haven't arrived. You with me? (laughs) Because for us, brothers and sisters, as Adventists, the Sabbath is the destination. The Adventist psyche is, you got the Sabbath, you're safe, you're set, brother. You got the Sabbath, sister? No worries. We've made the Sabbath, in some measure, more important than the God of the Sabbath. Because we all assume everybody's got the God of the Sabbath right. And so we don't need to examine that. We don't need to explore that. We don't need to double check and make sure that that's okay. And in that way, the devil's come in through the back door and he has done a a, a swift replacement. And we have a very serious problem. It'll it'll get clear as we go along, but I just don't want us to miss the point of what a sign means. And so therefore, the Sabbath alone does not constitute the seal of God. That's a a radical statement, I know. But that's what we're finding in scriptures, right? The Sabbath is a sign of the owner of the seal. He's the one who sanctifies us. So I want to ask you a question. This is a thinking question. Imagine you have the Sabbath, but you don't have the true and living God. Can you have the seal? I'll let you think about that. I'll let you answer that. This is a thought question. But think about it. The Sabbath alone, if it's, not, if it's not taking you to the destination, to where it is pointing, then you have not arrived at the destination. Yes, well, even if you came there, take that or whatever you do with it. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're there. That's correct. There is an example of this in the Old Testament. Remember, Abraham was given the sign of... The covenant, what was the sign of the covenant that God made with him? It Was circumcision. Remember that? God gave him a sign and it was as a seal. But it doesn't mean that everyone who was circumcised necessarily was participating in that particular covenant. Because there was an aspect of faith there. And so having the sign alone is not good enough. The sign is pointing to a reality that should exist. It should help us get to the reality. If if there was no sign there on the road, you might take a wrong turn. So the sign is to help you and guide you in the right direction to the destination. But you need to keep going and get to the destination. And so the Sabbath is a sign of our allegiance and worship to God. The fact that the issue is worship in the last days is uh, is one of very, very great significance. If we were to uh, illustrate it this way and just put this up, make sure it's all there. In uh, the fourth commandment, which we all love very dearly, which is the Sabbath commandment. I didn't put it there. We all know it. But the fourth commandment tells us when we worship, correct? And it also tells us why we worship. We worship on the seventh day. And the reason is God made... Heaven and earth is seen, and all that in them is in six days and he rested on the seventh day. So we, this is when we worship and this is the reason we worship. These are all good and valid and important and biblical reasons. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But the fourth commandment has three others before it. And the three others that are before it, they also all deal with worship. But we, we don't talk about them that much in the context of the last days and the issue between the seal and the mark. For example, the first commandment actually tells us who we worship, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But before even God said that, He identified Himself. He says, I am the Lord thy God which took you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And there He identified Himself by name as well. The second commandment tells us what we worship, God is not an object that can be signified by you know uh, images. God is not ether. God is not just a concept. God is an actual being. He's a tangible being that cannot be represented by the things that he has made. And the third commandment talks about how we worship reverence to God's name. To have reverence. Jesus talked about worshiping God in spirit and in, in truth. That also has to do with? reverencing God's name. And, of course, when we worship. And so these fourth, four commandments, brothers and sisters, which they relate to our, you know, this is what, how we relate to God, our relationship with God. All four are involved in the issue in the last days when it comes to worship. It is really to, to miss a lot when we just focus on the fourth one and ignore the other three. Now, here's a, here's a, here's a question for you. Which one is more important? When we worship or who we worship? God put it first, right? God put it number one. He says, first commandment, know who I am and who I worship. And don't worship anyone else. And then all the others are actually based on that. So if we got the fourth one correct and we got the first one wrong, what does that mean when it comes to our standing in the issue of worship in the last days. You with me? uh, I'm presenting a very dangerous scenario, I realize. And so the seal of God is his name, who he is, and that he is the one who sanctifies us. And that's what the 144,000 understand. I think we all I think we all are familiar, you know, when we do uh, uh, evangelism series and all that. when it comes to the to the night when we talk about the seal of God, usually we'll put the seal and and we'll have you know the, the three elements of a seal, right? the the name and a uh, territory and title, right? I think and, and and we and we find them all where. In the fourth commandment, and we make this solid conclusion, yes, so the fourth commandment, Sabbath is the seal of the living God. That's all very good and well. But in the process, we, we miss to identify who is this living God. There is this assumption that everybody knows and understands we're talking about the living God. But who is that? It's important to understand. We have a very vivid example in history, in Bible history, of a group of people who had... A very similar circumstance. And this group of people uh, fell for a very horrible deception. We read about them. And of course, we know that's the Jewish nation in John eight forty two, There are some alarming similarities. I want to draw some parallels here with that. Jesus says unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. The Jews had rejected Christ. They did not accept Christ for who he was. He says, and they claim to be worshipping who? God. The true God. Jesus says, listen, if you really love God, if God is really your father, you would love me because I am really his son. This is what it means when he says, I proceeded forth and came from God. He's saying, I am his son and he sent me here. If your worship and love to God is really true and genuine, you would love me. They rejected Christ. And in rejecting Christ, they showed that they actually did not truly love God. And Jesus brings that up in another place, John 12, 44. Notice what he says here. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent. sent me. Would it be safe to say that the inverse is also true? Jesus says, if you believe on me, you're really believing on my father, because he sent me. The authority for my mission and what I'm doing is from the father. What, if you accept me, you're accepting what the father has said. And therefore, if you reject me, who are you rejecting? My father. And that's exactly what the Jews had done. Now, here's the thing. The Jews felt that they were very safe because they were low keeping. Holy people who kept every single Sabbath, every week. And they rejected the son. And in rejecting the son, they had rejected his father. They rejected him as the begotten son. They did not accept that. And yet they had a very strong sense of safety and security, but it was false. They they trusted in their law keeping. They trusted in their Sabbath keeping. And brothers and sisters, we are in a very similar danger today. Very, very similar danger. What happened to the Jews who continued to keep the Sabbath? They were eventually destroyed in the destruction of Jerusalem. They were Sabbath keepers when they were destroyed. You realize that? But they had rejected the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus said, "The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, they had rejected Him, and they kept the Sabbath. And because they had the Sabbath, they felt safe, they felt secure. They went into their last day's scenario, the destruction of Jerusalem. And all the while, you know what they believed? God's going to deliver them. While the Roman armies were surrounding Jerusalem, they would tell the people, "Don't worry, we're God's people. We keep the Sabbath. We are God's faithful people. He's going to deliver us. Don't worry." As the walls were broken down and the Roman soldiers were streaming in, don't worry, God's going to intervene, last minute. And each one of them died, trusting that help would come because they were good Sabbath keepers and help did not come. You know that the same thing is going to repeat? Yes. Because Jesus told us that event is actually a small picture of what will happen in the last days. (coughs) And the Jews actually represent which group of people on earth today? God's professed holy remnant Sabbath-keeping law-abiding people—we are in, in serious danger, brothers and sisters. And look, let me let me read it to you, uh, so that we don't uh, we don't get it wrong. I'm going to come to that statement in a little bit, but let me read to you another verse, John chapter five and verse twenty-three. Jesus here speaking says that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor. The Father, he that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Today, brothers and sisters, we are not honoring the Son as the Son. We do not honor him as the only begotten Son of the Father. We honor him as something else. In so doing, we are actually dishonoring him and therefore dishonoring the Father. This has to do with our worship. And this is the issue in the last is we're all familiar with that. Because you know, sometimes when we share these things with people, people say, Well, you know, this this topic is is just a side issue. We need to focus on on what's important. The three angels' messages and the seal of God and the Sabbath. That's what's important. This issue about God is a side issue. I hope you're saying that this is not a side issue. This is the core issue in the last days. This is the battle in the last days. It is the battle between the God of the Sabbath versus the God of Sunday, as we shall see. And so honoring the son, the Jews had rejected him as the son. And we saw what happened to them. Not only that, but we find that the Jews had a very interesting situation developed. You see, Somewhere along the line, imperceptibly, the, the Jews' trust and confidence had shifted from God to the Sabbath. They were great protectors of the Sabbath. So much so that they actually condemned Christ for what they felt was Sabbath breaking. Here's the Lord of the Sabbath himself. They said, hold on, what are you doing on the Sabbath? This is wrong. They took him to court and they wanted to kill him because of his perceived sabbath breaking and they felt all the while completely justified because they felt that they were protecting the holy and sacred sabbath and the same thing exists today brothers and sisters when we talk about the son of god the lord of the sabbath we highlight his position and who he really is a lot of people say look brother you're really distracting the issue in the last days now The issue is the Sabbath, and people want to protect the Sabbath and put away this issue when it comes to talking about God or the Godhead or this topic. And some people say, you know what? Uh, Mrs. White never said anything about the Godhead being an issue in the last days. She spoke about the Sabbath. And so you guys here are are totally distracting us. We're going to see what Ellen White said in a minute. But do you understand the, the reasoning that a lot of people have? This is something, maybe some of you heard that. If you haven't, you'll hear it soon when you start sharing with others. If you believe the truth, you're going to hear it soon. A lot of people believe that, brothers and sisters. When we separate the Sabbath from the true and living God, we are breaking up the elements of the seal of God. You can't take the sign and make it the destination. And then people who want to talk about the destination say, hold on, this is a distraction. That means you have missed something major along the way. Major. And so the Jews are actually a picture for us. Here's what it says in uh, Manuscript Releases, Volume 17. Satan is working that the history of the Jewish nation may be repeated in the experience of those who claim to believe present truth. What group of people is that? That's us. Satan is working to repeat the same thing that happened to the Jews to happen to us. Notice how it goes on to say, the Jews had the Old Testament scriptures and supposed themselves conversant with them, but they made a woeful mistake. They had the Bible and they felt that they were experts at understanding the Bible and exactly what will come and how it will come and what they should expect. But they made a mistake. The prophecies that refer to the glorious second appearing of Christ in the clouds of heaven, they regarded as referring to his first coming because he did not come according to their expectations. They turned away from him. Satan knew just how to take these men in his net and deceive and destroy them. And Satan is working to repeat the same scenario for who? For Seventh-day Adventists. And brothers and sisters, we believe we are experts when it comes to end-time events. And we have a certain expectation of exactly how things will happen. We are so certain we put charts on it. Uh, charts for you know, and we share them and and this is exactly what we have a certain expectation and if along the way we have misunderstood something in the scriptures and things don't happen according to what we expect, Satan's going to triumph because we're not going to be ready for what's coming we're expecting something and it's going to come out from left field, totally the other side. Mm-hmm. And take us by surprise. And brothers and sisters, most Seventh-day Adventists, and I mean that in its broadest term, most Seventh-day Adventists are standing and looking, thinking the danger is going to come this way, and it's already over and taking us from behind. On the issue that we feel are the experts. We are the experts when it comes to this issue. Amazingly enough. As we shall see. Now... What is the seal exactly when we talk about the seal? I want to explore a couple of uh, aspects when it comes to the seal. Because, like we said, the, the, the seal is not just limited to the Sabbath day. Let me read a couple of statements here from Spirit Prophecy to that effect. Because someone will say, well, hold on, here, before we read the statement, we'll go back. Someone will say, hold on, brother. You know, all you're saying sounds very interesting. But Mrs. White said the seal is the Sabbath. That's it. You're making noise out of nothing. So don't don't waste our time here, and you're just trying to promote your issue. You're just trying to make what you are teaching us sound important. So we want to see what the Spirit of prophecy says because this is genuine. A lot of people will just not listen, and 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 are happy to continue in a, in a in a deception. So I want to make it as clear as possible. Here's some statements from Spirit of prophecy. See what she has to say. Those who would have the seal of God in their foreheads must keep the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. It's the sign for the owner of the seal who sanctifies us. There's a relationship between the... It's not just keeping the Sabbath. Let me read another one. Uh, If my computer here will cooperate. Okay, here we go. Uh, true, True observance of the Sabbath is the sign of loyalty to to God True observance of the Sabbath is the sign of loyalty to God so Here is the question If you don't have loyalty to God or to the true God what is the use of Sabbath observance I'll tell you absolutely nothing but keeping you in a state of deception in a state of false Security. It's one of the worst things, brothers and sisters, to go into something thinking that you are fully and completely ready for it when the opposite is true. You know, if somebody is not ready and they know they're not ready, they at least have an idea. Look, I know I'm not ready for what's coming. But what's worse is someone who believes they are ready, but they're actually not ready. Because they will not even try and get ready. Whereas the person who knows he's not ready, at least he, you know, well, I should get ready. You with me? What's the it's the worst deception. Self-deception is the worst deception. And that's Leodicea's problem. They think they've got it all. And that's why they have no need. Whereas if Christ says, I wish you were cold. Because if you're, if you're cold, then you know you need to get some warmth. But no, you're, you're not cold. You're, not, you're just in this state where you feel safe and secure. You've got it all. When in reality, you are totally and completely naked. We trust brothers and sisters in the Sabbath. Too much. Way too much. We don't trust in the Lord of the Sabbath. We trust in the Sabbath. You know, brothers and sisters, a lot of people, a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, preparation and readiness for the last days is really all summed up in Sabbath keeping. And you know what I'm talking about. We talk about this among ourselves. You know, somebody says, you know, if they can put a gun to my head, tell me keep Sunday or, or break the Sabbath, I won't do it. We have this strong zeal. You know what I'm talking about? We have this good motive, this strong willpower and determination that we will hold on to the Sabbath no matter what. And to people, this is their safety and their security. This is how they believe. They're going to hold on with their willpower to the Sabbath no matter what. And that's how they will be saved through that time. This is how they will maintain integrity to God. This is how they will have the seal of God. I have news for you, brothers and sisters. If this is what you believe, you are woefully deceived. Safety in the last days does not depend on your willpower in holding on to the Sabbath. There is something that's going to enable you to do that. And if you don't have it, your Sabbath keeping is totally useless. And my Sabbath keeping is totally useless. And that's the true and living God. Let me read another statement. This one is quite popular as well. When it comes to the seal and the sealing. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come. Indeed, it has begun already. So according to this statement, the seal or uh, receiving the seal is a settling into The the truth. Not just intellectually, not just with your head where you understand it, but spiritually. In other words, it actually changes your life. It is, it is a, a living practical reality in your experience, settling into the truth. Now here's a question. What is the first truth that comes to mind when we talk about the seal of God? You can answer, don't worry. It's, it's okay. If you, it's no, no problem if you get it wrong and, and you, you can get corrected. It's better than, think, you know, let's wait and be safe. huh? It's okay. This is not the test day today. First truth that comes to mind. Thank you, brother. Is that? Is the Sabbath. But there is another truth that should come to mind first. But we we go by it because it's assumed. It is the owner of the seal. Because it says here, as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, what the seal is, it is a settling into the truth. That's what the seal is, a settling into the truth. But the owner of the seal is the very first truth that should come to mind when it comes to the sealing message. Who is the owner of the seal? And what is the sign that points to the owner of the seal? See, the problem is we assume that everybody knows that. Everybody's worshiping God. Let's talk about the thing that we disagree on. Oh, Sunday, Sabbath. Yeah, let's focus on that. The seal is called the seal of the living God. So here's another question. Would having the truth about the living God be necessary for receiving the seal? In other words, let me put it this way. Can you be settled into the truth if you have error about who God is? You cannot. What if you have error as to the identity of the Son? Can you settle into the truth spiritually and intellectually, if you have error about that. The answer is no. Even if you have the truth about the Sabbath. You with me? It is settling into the truth, the most important and fundamental truth. That it is the Lord who sanctifies us, not the Sabbath. You with me? It's the Lord The Sabbath is the sign that points to the Lord who sanctifies us. Settling into the Sabbath truth is good and well. If you do not have the Lord who sanctifies you, you're in dangerous ground. I think you're seeing the point. I don't want to harp too much on it, but I'm making I'm making it clear here because what's coming might uh, might be heavy. So I just want to make sure we understand it with what we're talking about here. Even the truth about the Father and the Son. You know, some of us here, you, you might have heard some of the things we, we shared. You believe it. Some might already believe it from before. Even, even having that, Truth, intellectually, in your mind, is not enough. Just because you understand the truth about God and His Son and the Spirit, that's not enough. You have to settle into the truth intellectually and spiritually. It has to be a practical reality in your life. In other words, the truth is designed to bring you into a closer relationship with God so that He can come and dwell in you and sanctify you. If you do not have that, it doesn't matter how much truth you understand in your head. So I don't want you to feel, oh, we're safe because we know the truth about God, some of us here. Whereas other people, well, they're a bit confused. We ha- we always like to feel safe about ourselves. We, uh, there's a danger in that, brothers and sisters. So we need to be mindful of that. Because <clears throat> the Bible says, you know, the angel says, hold the, the winds back until we seal the servants of our God in their foreheads. Jesus said what it means to be a servant of God. John 12, 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. That's what the 144,000 do. To serve Christ is to really follow him whithersoever he goeth. It's not just to have an understanding of who he is. It actually needs to affect our life. It needs to affect our experience and our behavior and practice. You don't serve God by having right ideas. Did you know that? You don't serve God. You don't do God any favor or service when you understand doctrine correctly. You don't do God any service when you interpret the scriptures exactly right. what What do you do? You're trying to impress God? But brothers and sisters, we trust in a lot of these things, don't we? Many times when we talk about the truth... And we say, we got to, you know, we got to preach the truth, brother. When did you accept the truth, brother? You know, we are referring to ideas and doctrines and concepts. That's what we're referring to when we talk about the truth. Oh, this brother, he's not in the truth anymore. Why? Are, he, he understands this text this way. The truth, we have come to believe that the truth is a set of ideas and doctrines. This is dangerous, brothers and sisters. Jesus told us what the truth is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. According to Jesus, the truth is what? A person, himself. That's what the truth is. You with me? I know I'm stepping on some toes here, but that's what the Bible says. We can't ignore what the Bible says. And so now that we understand a little bit more about the seal of God and what that entails... This will help us understand more about the mark of the beast. And when we talk about the mark of the beast, <clears throat> which is on the other side, uh, the mark of the beast is really the inverse of what the seal of God is. That's why we had to look at the seal and examine the elements of the seal. Because what we find on this side, it's the inverse that we will find in the mark of the beast. Misunderstanding the mark of the beast generally happens because we don't correctly understand what the seal of God is. This is really the case. And so that's why we had to examine that. So if it was a bit repetitive, I'm sorry. I just wanted to lay the foundation. When we talk about this, this mark of the beast, the first thing we think of usually is Sunday and particularly enforced Sunday worship. But remember something, they are like a mirror image. And so Sunday also would serve as a sign, just like the Sabbath serves as? There's no question that Sunday, particularly in Fourth Sunday uh, worship, has to do something with, this, with the mark of the beast. But that's not the end of the story. We think that's the end of the story. Just like the Sabbath is not the end of the story when it comes to the seal of the living God. They are parallel. And just like <coughs> the Sabbath is a sign that points to the owner of the seal, so Sunday is also a sign and it points to something. And just like those who s- receive the seal of the living God, they worship the owner of the seal. That's who they worship. And this is when they worship. In like manner, those who receive the mark of the beast, this is when they worship. And we also want to see who they worship. Because that's the contest. That's what who the contest is between. It's between this God and this God. And this contest is going to be played out in the last days and will be seen in the issue of worship over which day you worship. So let's look at that a little closer. Revelation chapter 13. There is more to the mark than we generally talk about. Let's see what it says. Verse 16. And he calls us all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Sister Vaz has been sharing with us how this is being set up with the control in the world of all the buying and selling through trade agreements. Correct? This is the world setting up for what's coming. Satan is behind the scenes setting up where the globe can be controlled what you buy and what you sell. And if you don't get with the program, you're not going to be able to buy and sell. This is the means that will be used to enforce the mark of the beast. But in its essence, the mark of the beast ultimately is a religious issue. It's an issue of worship. It's not an issue of economy. Economy will be used and trade will be used to enforce an issue of worship. And we know who's behind the scenes with that. But notice what it says here. No man can buy or sell except if they have what? The mark. But what else? The name of the beast and the number of his name. We're experts when it comes to the mark and we talk a lot about the mark. But there is not just the mark only. There is the mark or the name or the number of the beast. So I ask you a question. What's the name and what's the number? When it comes to the number, people say, oh, yeah, the number, that's 666 in Revelation. Okay, that's good. And, and the name, and what does that signify? Because you can have either one, it says or, correct? So you don't have to have the mark of the beast, but if you have the name, you are in the same category, correct? So what is the name? And no one knows. Hey, we're experts, come on. Right? Because listen, if you have the name or the mark, it's the same thing. Someone's saying Satan. Okay, we're gonna see. That's a good we'll lock in the answer. Okay, anyone else? <laughs> look, brothers and sisters, that sounds serious now because look, if if we if we don't know the name, we might receive it. You might be sitting here, no, I don't know the name. Maybe you already have it. Who knows? You know what I mean? Because we're looking, oh, it's the mark, uh, the mark Sunday, we don't have Sunday, okay. But there is more than just the mark, and this is the issue I'm telling you about, brothers and sisters. The Bible says if you have the mark, or the name, or the number of his name, you're in the same category. We have become experts in one aspect of things, and we think this is the whole story. What is his name? The name is mentioned in the same chapter, so I'm not going to stress you too much. Let's look at the Bible. (laughs) Same chapter tells us, Revelation 13 and verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, And upon his horns, ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. Blasphemy. So the name is what? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. So there's the mark of the beast. There is the name, the name of blasphemy. And the number. I'm not going to go into the number. Most of us are familiar with that. There's a lot more that could be said on 666. But let's just look at the next one illustration that can help us. Maybe shake us up a little bit. You know, you know... (laughs) uh, it's good to think that you're an expert and then you hear some things and you think, hold on a minute, I, I, I don't know this stuff. I'm not an expert anymore. It's actually a good thing because what's coming, brothers and sisters, is a life and death issue. It's not an exam that if you fail, oh, you can sit again. It's not something, oh, well, I'll have another shot at. It's a one-time thing. I didn't know some of these things either, so don't, I had to go look at them. Like the name, I don't know, what's, what's, what's the name? I never heard about the name in the Revelation seminars and evangelism series that we do. What does blasphemy mean? What is blasphemy? To make something into God that is not. Or we also understand it to be, to take the attributes of God that you don't deserve. We look at that and we see Rome and they take attributes of God of forgiving sins, for example. And we see that as blasphemy. But that's not it. It's not just taking attributes of God. It's making into God that which is not. That's to blaspheme God. Like the Jews accused Jesus of, except that Jesus was who he said that he was. That's exactly right. And so the, the system, what is the system that will be most involved in this mark of the beast? We know that to be none other than Rome. As a sister shared with us, there's three cities in the world. The one city that has the religious control is which one? Rome. The Vatican in particular. The headquarters of what we believe to be the beast. The beast power. And this whole full system of worship. And so this beast carries the name of blasphemy. Something that has to do with blasphemous worship. Does this beast or does this system worship the true God of the Bible? The answer is no. Who do they worship? The one who wants to be like God. Who was originally where? In heaven. Who wants to be worshiped like God. This is the system of worship that's obviously uh, you know, masked and shrouded and, and it's masquerading as a very good idea. And this whole talk of unity in the world and everybody coming together and being all like each other in uh, politics and economy and ultimately in religion and worship. The whole purpose of the whole New World Order stuff and getting together is so that everybody can worship the same thing. Who do you think they're going to get together and worship? Satan. Satan. Who's going to lead the charge? The system of Rome. This is what Bible prophecy teaches. We're familiar with all this. But if this is true and we really believe this, I really want you to think about some of the things we're going to talk about in a minute. Because all of a sudden it gets very, very dangerous. Who does Rome worship as their God? They tell us. Catechism of the Catholic Church. The mystery of the Most Holy Trinity is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. It is the mystery of God in Himself. It is therefore the source of all other mysteries of faith. The light that enlightens them. It is the most fundamental and essential teaching in the hierarchy of the truths of faith. This is direct from the Vatican website. This is the God that is worshipped in Rome. It is called the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity. It's also known as God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Three in one and one in three. I want to ask you a question again. Do you believe Rome worships the God of the Bible? No. This is who they say they worship. And yet most Adventists believe that this is the God of the Bible. There's a problem here. There's a very big problem. The beast has the name of blasphemy. The God that they worship is referred to in the scriptures as blasphemy. It is worshiping as God that which is not God. That's why we. That's why we're looking at what we're looking at in the scriptures. That's why we laid the biblical foundation, and now we're looking at it in the context of the last days. You know, in in the. In the evangelism seminars, usually when it comes to this issue of the mark of the beast, we identify Rome as the Antichrist and so on. And usually we will have some quotes from Rome that talk about Sunday being their mark of authority and how they change the Sabbath Sunday. you familiar with that? And we present those as Rome saying, see, Rome says that Sunday is their mark of authority. There you go. That's the beast telling you what the mark of the beast is. That sounds good and very convincing. And it's true. But Rome actually tells us There is something that they regard as more important than Sunday. You know what it is? Notice what it says here. It is the most fundamental and essential teaching in the hierarchy of the truths of the faith. The Trinity is the source of all other mysteries of the faith. So in other words, Sunday comes from the Trinity, according to Rome. They consider the Trinity or the God that they worship more important than the day that they worship. They and the Bible right. says that as well.
1: They got it right we got it wrong.
0: They got it right or we got it wrong? Yes, it's, that's... Uh, wrong. <laughs> there's been a very serious mixing of things. And that's why I want to take it slow and look at it and consider it. Because there are some very serious inconsistencies that we hold to, brothers and sisters. That's not the only time Rome says it. Here's another one. The mystery of the Trinity is the central doctrine of the Catholic faith. Upon it are based all the other teachings of the church. It's the central doctrine. Every other teaching is based on the God that they worship. That's the same with us. All the... Yes, and she has daughters too. We're going to come to that. All the teachings that we believe are based on the God that we worship in the scriptures. He is the source of all things. The mirror image, the false worship that has been set up, and for hundreds of years Satan has been working to set up his masterpiece and rebuild Babylon on a global scale, is the system of worship that's also based on the false gods. He is the source of all things. I'll give you an example of that when it comes to worship. Here's a, here a quote. Catholic reasons for keeping Sunday. And here's the answer. Because it is a day dedicated by the apostles to the honor of the most holy Trinity. They keep Sunday because of the Trinity. So Sunday is actually a sign that points to the God that they worship. This is why you'll find that the history of the Trinity is actually the sun God. The the God of the Trinity actually comes all the way from Babylon. It is sun worship. It is the sun God. There is a DVD here called The Gods of Babylon. Has anyone seen it? If you haven't seen it, make sure you get a copy because we go into a little bit more detail. I'm not going to go into that now. I don't have time. But uh, uh, Sister Vaish a the very important point as well. It says that in this system, symbolism will be used and symbolism is going to represent hidden meanings. And if you can read the symbols and decipher what they mean, you will understand what is being said. This is a very, well, it's a bit hard to see, but this is a very popular symbol for the Trinity. It's called the trichetra, the three interlocking circles or arcs of the circle making three in one and one in three. There is a meaning behind the symbol where it comes from. Make sure you get that studied and look at it. But this reason of Rome for keeping Sunday is based on the God that they worship. In other words, if we were to put this in our illustration, Rome worships the Trinity as three in one and one in three. And Sunday... It's represented that way, is the sign that points to the God that is worshipped or served in this particular system. This is the name of blasphemy that they carry. And not only that, but we find the same thing repeated in Revelation 17. This, of course, as well is. None other than the sun god. Revelation 17.3 So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and ten hordes. Here's this woman again. Another picture. Same thing is being dealt with. It has full of names of blasphemy and a little later in the chapter it says on her forehead is a name written in detail now for this name of blasphemy and what's the name written on her forehead? Mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of? harlots and abominations of the earth so this system is the mother and it has daughters and in order for you to identify the daughters all you have to do is see who do the daughters worship do they worship the same god as the mother then they have the same name of blasphemy so here's the question who do you worship who do we worship In our church, in the remnant commandment keeping, Sabbath keeping church in the last days, who do we worship? We're going to see. Because the issue is mark of the beast and seal of God, brothers and sisters. And so, we find that this is the situation as it stands. Now, this is a very scary illustration here that I'm putting up. Because if you really uh, contemplate the ramifications of what we're saying, they become very alarming. They become very serious and they become very alarming, incredibly alarming. And they're gonna get a little bit more alarming before we finish. We're almost there. But someone might say, and, and rightly so, that people might wonder, because this is so startling, say, look, you know, you guys are really off with the fairies here. You've really lost the plot. You're, you're saying stuff that's so out there. You know, you have no understanding of this. We've got the spirit of prophecy. Mrs. White never said anything about this. You know, you're just trying to promote your idea and push it everywhere. You are trying to put it in the mark of the beast and just to give importance to what you're trying to tell us. And that's a good objection. I hear this objection quite a lot, actually. So are we off with the fairies here? Is, this, is what we're saying, is this true or not? We saw it in the Bible. But I want to go also again to the Spirit of Prophecy and see what the Spirit of Prophecy has to say. For the satisfaction of people who might be truly wondering and genuinely asking, is this really true or not? Here's a statement from Spirit of Prophecy. Testimonies Volume Six. The light we have received upon the third angel's message is the true light. The mark of the beast is exactly what it has been proclaimed to be, which is what? We believe to be what? Enforced Sunday worship. It's exactly that. But notice what else it says. Not all in regard to this matter is yet understood. Nor will it be understood until the unrolling of the scroll. But a most solemn work is to be accomplished in our world. So there is more to the mark of the beast than just Sunday. According to the spirit of prophecy, right? It says not everything is understood yet. It will be understood with the unrolling of the scroll. With the passage of time, as we get closer to the last days, there will be more understanding... About the mark of the beast and what it entails. So it's not just Sunday and enforced Sunday. I'm sharing with you more understanding and a deeper importance for what the issues are in the mark of the beast and the seal of God. There is more to the mark of the beast. So I'm not denying that enforced Sunday worship is, is Part of the mark of the beast. Not denying that at all. I'm just saying there's more. That's not the end of the story. <clears throat> and so I want to share a little uh, a little quote here that illustrates the Adventist psyche. We're almost there, so we'll just hold on a few more minutes, and then we'll we'll make a close. But I just want to share this quote. And this quote is actually a, a video. I want to play it. And hopefully we'll hear it clearly, thanks to our speakers here. Then I'll make some comments. And what this quote does, basically, is it illustrates this psyche that we are talking about. So, Elder Wilson, we've heard about the beast, his image. What
1: about this mark? What is this mark? Well, Don, it's mentioned, of course, in verse 9. It is also mentioned in verse 11. And it is always connected in both of those places with the worshiping of the beast and his image. So there's something about the mark and the worship. And actually, this does uh, represent very much the authority of the beast and the image. And what gives that uh, that power, that authority? As we understand it from uh, biblical understanding, that this comes out of an attempt to change times and laws which is founded in an understanding that it comes out of Rome and an attempt to actually change God's Ten Commandments so that the day of worship becomes one other than the seventh-day Sabbath, and in fact, the mark of the beast would be the worship of God on any other day than that particular day, because that is a sign of God's authority. In fact, let's contrast the mark of the beast with the seal of God, because the seal of God for God's people in the last days will be their adherence, their love of Him, and their observance of the day which He has ordained and made sacred the seventh day Sabbath. So you are sealed with a special connection with him when you keep that day. Anyone keeping a day other than that ultimately will be keeping the sign or the mark of the authority of the beast which has changed the day of worship to another day.
0: Okay everyone heard that okay is that true or false
1: yeah, false
0: <laughs> okay true and false it is true but incomplete correct
1: yeah.
0: and this and the reason why was, this is the conference president of course and I'm not picking on him personally but what he says illustrates what we all believe as Adventists this is really the issue this is what it comes down to which day will it be the seal is which day, Sabbath. The mark is which day, Sunday. Or according to him, any day other than the Sabbath. He, he didn't specify Sunday as such, but any day other than Sabbath. Well, whatever it is, but it is a day. It is when we worship. And this is the danger, brothers and sisters. This is why we're looking at this in detail to understand the deeper elements that are contained in both the seal and the mark. And in looking at that, I wanna really ask you some thought questions. And the thought question, is: here's the first thought question. Is it possible, for a Sunday keeper to be worshipping the true God of the Bible? Yes. Is that possible? Yes. Okay. Alright. That's that's good. Here's, here's another scenario. Is it possible for a Sabbath keeper to be worshipping the God of Sunday? Yes. So this scenario here throws a lot of problems up in the air because What happens now when it comes to the mark and the seal? All of a sudden it's not as clear-cut as we like. Right? And all of a sudden the Sunday keepers are not so bad. You know a lot of Sunday keepers worship worship the true God? And all of a sudden the Sabbath keepers, a lot of them are in real danger, right? But brothers and sisters, this is deadly danger. This is what the devil is planning for God's people. He's planning to have them trust and believe that they've got it all right. But they've shifted their worship from the true and living God to the God of Sunday. And it's going to come as a shocking surprise to many too late when they realize that their Sabbath keeping meant nothing because they were worshiping the same God as the Sunday keepers. This is a disaster. This is a disaster of incredible proportions. We never used to believe this as a church. as we We saw that already. Something changed over the years and the change is so dramatic, it's so drastic that it affects our preparation for the last days. So if a Sunday keeper is worshipping the true God, we would expect that the true God will lead him and guide him and inspire him to accept the Sabbath and that happens. So, would it be possible for this person to receive the seal? Where's my pointer? I better use the pointer. (laughs) Okay, yes. What about here? What happens to a person who's keeping the Sabbath, which is on this side, but he's worshipping this God? What would he receive, do you think? (laughs) Hmm. Okay, he's giving uh, honor to the name of blasphemy. That's right. And if you have the name of blasphemy... You don't have to have the full mic, if all you have to have is the name. If you are giving your allegiance and your worship to the same God as Rome, then you are in the same boat as Rome. How sad. There are so many people in this category who truly believe, who sincerely believe that they will receive the seal of God. What a shocking surprise. To realize that they end up with the mark of the beast. That's why we're sharing the things we're sharing. These are life and death issues, brothers and sisters. It's a very, very serious matter. And it's a very sober matter too. You know, I don't share these things lightly. I, I realize the weight of, of, of what I'm saying is very serious. And this is, I'm not sharing this to condemn people. I just want to be clear. I'm not sharing this to condemn people. I'm sharing this to wake us up, brothers and sisters. We have been hoodwinked big time as Adventists. Let's see what else the Spirit of Prophecy says. The third angel's message has been sent forth to the world warning men against receiving the mark of the beast or of his image in their foreheads or in their hands. To receive this mark means to come to the same decision as the beast has come. And to advocate the same ideas in direct opposition to the word of God. Here is a definition for the mark of the beast that is not commonly used. It is to come to the same decisions as who? As the beast and promote or advocate non-biblical ideas. So here's the question. If you promote the same God as the beast. Then what does that mean? According to this okay it says to receive listen carefully to receive the mark of the beast is to come to the same decisions and to advocate the same ideas if we come to the same decision as wrong and we advocate the same non-biblical ideas we are promoting the mark of the beast according to the spirit of prophecy you with me now, if we do that with Sunday, we straight away... Yeah, see, of course, that's that's like Rome. But the devil is clever. He told us, okay, Adventists, keep the Sabbath. No problem. We'll do, we'll do another replacement. We'll replace the God of the Sabbath. And we'll do it so well that when people come and tell you about the true God, you're going to think they're heretics. Right? And when people come and promote the true Son of God, you say, oh, no, no, be careful, brother. Don't go to these meetings. You, you might get deceived. This, do, you see what, do you see what I'm saying? To promote the same ideas and to come to the same conclusions as the beast. Here's another clip. I not you to listen carefully to this.
1: Let me also indicate that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all participated in the literal creation of this world. They are the Godhead three in one, and have existed since eternity, and will exist throughout eternity. They are omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and everlasting. Three distinct eternal persons, one God,
0: our almighty God. This is so you can hear it for yourselves. Three distinct persons, one God, our almighty God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Do you know who else worships this God? Rome does. Here it is. One God in the Trinity and the Trinity in unity, without either confusing the persons or dividing the substance. For the person of the Father is one, and the Sons is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. But the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, and their majesty co-eternal. And that's from the Athanasian Creed. Has it come to this in the last days? Have't you ever wondered, how is the devil going to deceive God's remnant people? Here is one very big deception that most of God's people believe is truth, not deception. It's very serious, brothers and sisters. And again, I'm quoting Ted Wilson so that people say, oh, this is this pastor's opinion or that pastor's opinion. What Ted Wilson is saying is representative of everyone. This is what everyone believes. Some people explain it a little bit differently here, a little bit differently there. It all amounts to the same thing. And when I say everyone, I mean people in the church, out of the church, independent, codependent, non-dependent, self-supporting, not support, every breed of Adventist that exists. They all unite in worshiping the same God. Some say, well, I don't call it Trinity, I call it Godhead. Okay, I'll well, explain it. They explain the Trinity. Same thing. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what label you put on it. In its core, essentially, it is not the worship of the God of the Bible. Mrs. White says, if you agree with the beast, and you advocate the same non-biblical ideas you are promoting, the mark of the beast. This is not my opinion. This is what the testimony of Jesus says. And this is not my take on it. This is not my spin. This is why I'm putting these things, the quotes, and you hear it for yourselves. Brothers and sisters, we're living in very serious times. There is a present truth message to go to the world, but there is a present truth message to go to Seventh-day Adventists who think they've figured it all out. That's us. That's you and me. And so this situation, like I said, creates this particular problem that we have. We today as a church are keeping this day, but we're worshiping this God. And we believe we have been called with a message to preach the three angels' messages and preach the seal of God to the world. The devil has stolen our message from us. He's given us something else in its place. And this is why we're still going. And you know, you ever wonder why is the work not finished? We're still going on and on and on and on. We have a major problem in the message. Something got swapped along the way. So part of why we're here is to tell you what got swapped along the way. Do you see what we're saying? It's very serious, brothers and sisters. That's why I told you at the beginning, it's a very serious message today. Now, you can, you can dwell on the ramifications of what that means. It's very, very serious. And it's very, very sobering. I'll just finish with one example to illustrate this point. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, spirit of prophecy. And they like to use the spirit of prophecy. When Ellen White wrote all those statements that we quoted, and all the statements she ever wrote, the entire church at the time was worshipping this God, the true and living God of the Bible. They were not worshipping the Trinity. You realize that? Because mm-hmm. people are saying, "Well, why didn't Mrs. White say anything about this? They weren't worshipping that in the, her time. It's and so we need to look at the statements in the historical context. What's that? It's not an issue. Yeah, it wasn't an issue back then because everybody believed the truth. This was the issue in the world and they promoted the day of the true God and they also would teach people who the true God is. It's the same the Jews
1: Jesus never contained
0: the Sabbath because that's true and so things have changed hundred years later things have changed today we've swapped gods and we say no no but Mrs. White didn't say anything about it the Bible has and even she did she says there's actually more and that's why we read some of these statements there's an interesting example of someone who died back in those days that Mrs. White tells us was sealed this is Mrs. Hastings have you ever read the statement? I think some of you might have Mrs. White says, I saw that she, that's Mrs. Hastings, was sealed. This is Mrs. Hastings, okay, died, right? So Mrs. White writes a letter to comfort her husband. The, the guy just lost his wife. So she's writing a letter to encourage him, to comfort him. And this is what she tells him. I saw that she, Mrs. Hastings, which is your wife, was sealed and would come up at the voice of God and stand upon the earth and would be with 144,000. I saw we need not mourn for her. She would rest in the time of trouble. And all that we would mourn for was our loss." And being deprived of her company. I saw her death would result in good. This was really early on, this is like in the 1850s. So here's the question, uh, well before the question. Mrs. Hastings was sealed, right? She was sealed with the seal of the living God according to the spirit of prophecy. Here's the question, which God did she worship? The entire church at the time worshipped the true God, the Father. And they understood and believed His only begotten Son. And they understood the correct identity of the Spirit. This is who she worshipped. So this is a very interesting example. Because the 144,000 who will be sealed, they will all worship the same God. You're not going to have one group in this time. They worship this. Oh, this group here, they worship the Trinity. Okay, they get the seal as well. And this group here, this... That's confusion. You see, the case of Mrs. Hastings presents a very serious historical problem when it comes to the issue of the seal and the mark. Because the whole church at that time, as admitted by Trinitarians, Trinitarian historians today, they all admit that our founding fathers did not believe what we believe today about the Trinity. Mrs. White says when she died, she was sealed with the seal of the living God. We admit that we worship a different God today, and yet we expect to receive the same seal? How is that even possible? That is ludicrous. Totally impossible. Totally and completely impossible. The Trinity is an immediate disqualifier for receiving the seal of God. Is that what I'm trying to say? Yes and yes. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. It is a definite... If you worship anyone other than the God of the Bible, you cannot receive the seal of the God of the Bible. No matter how many Sabbaths you might keep. And so the Sabbath is the sign for the true God. And so we'll leave it at that. This is our last slide. This is the contest in the last days, brothers and sisters. You know, we might have this battle figured out and correct. We figured out the right day, not the wrong day. That's good. But that's not the end of the war. The war is between this God and this God. Who will you worship? Not just when will you worship. Who do you worship? The true God or the false God? That's the question and that's the challenge. And I hope that this perhaps gives us a little bit more insight as to how we can prepare for the trouble that's coming. I wish, I wish that this message can be shared with the people in the church. Did you see how many people said amen when, when T- Ted Wilson said this is the God that mm-hmm. worship"? It was a packed audience. Thousands upon thousands. Brothers and sisters, these are all our brothers and our sisters. This is our family, our spiritual family. Most of which are caught up in a deception. Some of us were in that deception at one point, right? Yeah. And so I'm glad those of you who came, came. And I pray the Lord will lay it on your heart that you will go and share with your brothers and sisters what you have learned here. If you see any merit in it, if the Spirit has touched your heart and said, this is the truth. Because this would have happened doubtless. We pray for that. Because we can only speak to your ear. If something in your heart tells you this is the truth, that's the Spirit speaking to your heart. And you know what to do. So I will just leave it at that. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.